MC Bravado is a dedicated MC to his art, Baltimore, and the entire DMV hip hop scene. Ladies and gentlemen, here we go. Dirty, dirty, dirty motherfucker. Check me. I'm cut from the fabric of Jet Li. I practiced 10,000 hours so my talent could meet my hard work. I farm words out of my dreams and harvest my reality. Finally, I could eat. I was sad all my friends were married except me. Then I saw the Maxim model on back of my jet ski. Dirty, I just dirty, don't know where to begin with that song. Miriam Tazi is in the house. Yeah, and Malcolm Riddle. Ooh, look at her. She's all smiles, people. I am. She is all smiles. It's been a minute. Yeah. Yeah? Mm. Don't don't get too caught up now. I need, <laughs> I need you to have words. This podcast, we, we are live in studio with people. We're back. We've been on hiatus. Uh, but we decided to, uh, uh, in lieu of the conditions of the world, we uh, got the keys to the studio and... Uh, you know, heated up the mics. So, welcome to another episode of American Riddle. We decided. Well, you know, <laughs> I was really just put on the spot two minutes ago. Let me let me turn this up a little bit. views in a room is truly beautiful. But five days a week, you sitting looking at your cubicle, suitable for you. I salute you and respect it, but don't fucking judge me for really going to get it. shout out to MC Bravado, representing Baltimore hip hop to the fullest. I like it. I love it. Yeah, this is a new one. Dirty Thirty. Ooh. I, had, I had a dirty 30 birthday party. Did you really? I did. That's probably Ooh. the last big party I had for yeah myself. I uh, let me pot this down a little bit. Mm, mm, mm. There we go. A dirty 30 birthday is that's a thing. It, I guess some my, some of my friends like rented a like a section of a bar type thing and uh, yeah. And things you got dirty. I mean, I got on stage with the band, so, mm. I mean, it was fun. Mm. Mm. <laughs> but that's probably the last time I've I'm gone t- all out, yeah. I'm telling you people. So, some of you listening to the program, you guys know that I've been off for quite some time. We've been off for quite some time. This isn't the episode for me to get into it <laughs> and, and and say, give it, you know, any explanation um, why, but you know, we're back. We, we've got, uh, this episode. I can't promise you one after <laughs> <laughs> just this one. Look, teaser. I, I got a little bit of time on my hands. So I started, you know, dusting off the mics and the mixer and the computers and the lights and the stage, all the displays and everything that's in the studio. Yeah, there's a lot. There is a lot, actually. Yeah. And there's a lot of wires because things have been shifted around and I don't have the exact same setup. But uh, I wanted to, um, I went digging in the crates and I had some audio that I wanted to share, uh, you know, with you guys. Um, last, I think it was last year, I was in New York for the um, uh, the Together Forever book by Glenn E. Friedman. And uh, it was uh, Glenn, it was DMC, Run, um, was in the house, uh, Dr. Dre, uh, not West Coast Dr. Dre, whereas Chuck would say the only Dr. Dre that he knows. (laughs) Um, But it was a lot of colorful uh, personalities in the house to celebrate this this occasion and and to celebrate this book, which is a 
as you've been looking at it, Miriam. Oh, it's gorgeous. Yeah, it, it it's an amazing book that Glenn has put together. So if you do get a chance, and I hope hopefully you'll make some time, you can go on Amazon, and I'll post a link too, uh, and get this book if you don't have it. It's a great time to have it in your collection. Uh, lots of pictures mm-hmm. of Run DMC and the Beastie Boys to celebrate their relationship. And before we get started in the podcast, Miriam was asking me, he, she didn't realize that. Well, yeah, you were saying that the Beastie Boys and Run DMC had this like do, I guess, I don't know, you said do, like duality or like this kind of relationship. Yeah, this relationship where they feed it off each other, you yeah. know, and like hyped each other yeah. up basically to be more creative and pushed each other. When I was growing up in Flint, Michigan, as a as a kid, teenager. Um, circa, you know, 1986, 87. I didn't know anything else but Beastie Boys and Run D. I didn't, I only knew them together. I didn't know them separate. Like where one was, the other existed. Hmm. You know, even when they were, when, when Run DMC did the, I think the first concert I went to of Run DMC was the Raising Hell tour and the Beastie Boys was on that. And then when the Beastie Boys did their License to Ill tour, it was the Beastie Boys and Public Enemy opening up for the Beastie Boys. Wow. Yeah. So <laughs> it was, you know, I was front and center too, first. <laughs> like we got there. I can there imagine. First, like I have this, I teenage Malcolm Riddle. Same size head, about 135 pounds, though. So exact same size head as I have now. <laughs> I was like a Charlie Brown character. But I was, dead ce- I, I was dead center, and I got to witness all of that right in the beginning. And, yeah, it, it, it was but all... But did you know, like, did you realize what you were witnessing? Like- yeah. Did yeah. you really? Yeah, yeah, of course. I mean, you didn't, you didn't, I didn't. Or was re- it just like a show you're going to, like, I'm going to a show, like, I'm hyped about the show. Like, I get hyped about any show I go to anyway, but it's, like, you know, it's difficult to realize. A lot of people say, like, I don't realize in the moment how impactful this will be, you know, in the future or how how this could be a moment in history or whatever, you know, because people are just either doing their job, performing, doing what they love, and going to a show, listening to music that they love. You know what I mean? Like, do you realize what you're witnessing at that of moment? Course, or do you, is it later on no. that you think back and you're like, okay. <laughs> no, I knew. I knew. Just How? like just like I know when I talk to you about the shows that I go to present day. I'm like, you're witnessing something that may yeah, not ever happen again. then even? Yeah. As you a, just as, think differently. As a teenager. No, not... Well, I don't know about that. I, I just think that there, there were large groups of people in in the culture at the time and they were awoken by hip hop and by the beastie boys by run dmc by houdini by the fat boys by curtis blow by grandmaster melly mel i mean collective it was just a snowball effect so by the time um you know that era of you know raising hell uh, you know coming off king of rock raising hell uh, license to ill i mean that snowball effect you knew they were speaking your language like i knew like growing up like i've told you this story and i've said it on this podcast before i didn't know i was going to get all into this um the growing up my my dad would every saturday sunday the weekends it's motown right yeah, i remember you and, i mean i just it's stuff. just motown just as loud as you could blast it in in the house 
no matter where we live. And that's not a bad... I still kind of live like that, to be honest, but okay. And that's not a bad thing. That's a wonderful thing. However, at the time, that it wasn't speaking to me. It wasn't until my adult years that I understood and and realized what was in my DNA, that that fingerprint, that that mark it left on me. However, it wasn't until hip-hop that was speaking my language and run and run dmc and the beastie boys that relationship that they had that bond that they had i mean I, you've seen it with with other celebrities or other acts in life whether it was dean martin and jerry lewis or it was um I, like i told you before muhammad ali and howard cosell like right. these these were relationships where people fed off each other and they they built careers uh, and 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 they also opened the doors for a lot of other people. Uh, I mentioned uh, the aforementioned uh, Public Enemy. Chuck is Chuck D has gone on record to say there'd be no Public Enemy without the Beastie Boys. Mm-hmm. And if you think about the Beastie Boys and their involvement with other careers like LL Cool J and being able to deliver, you know, it's a, a very famous uh, story about Ad Rock delivering. Um, or or just not just kept drilling in Rick Rubin's head to listen to to Cool J. Hmm. Uh, they can tell the story better than I can. I'm sure you can find it someplace. But the point is is how these relationships and how these bonds and friendships um, bring people together, keep people together, and inspire uh, millions of people all over the globe. Um, me being one of them. That's cool. Uh, and, really beautiful. And it's the same thing in life. In general, I mean, it doesn't have to be on, you know, a celebrity scale. It could be someone, you know. Uh, yeah, but they would. Did, I probably they probably didn't feel like celebrities yet. That's my point. Also, like before, like they don't know the impact necessarily yet because it's just the beginning, you know, of like that. Yeah, but that I think they I, they would have to answer. Impact. They would have to answer that. I I I I, I <clears> if I was a betting man, I would say they they were on a trajectory where they they kind of at that time yeah they felt it yeah by the time together forever tour there was a tour called together forever that's cool um i was there too front and center (laughs) Um, of course but it was you know by the time that came around um you know it it, it, yeah history was in the making i mean it was they were making history and continued to do so for, for quite so long so this this book Together Forever by Glenn Friedman celebrates that relationship and that bond. And I was really, I was privileged. I was honored to be present uh, in New York, uh, myself and, and, and Grandmaster Katz, as I call him, Andy Katz, um, was was upstate and drove up uh, for that event. I think we drove up that day and came back that night. Um, I think it was back in November of last year. And, you know, I've been sitting on this audio because it runs about an hour long. So you're going to hear, you're going to hear Chuck D. You're going to hear Glenn Friedman, uh, uh, Run, DMC, uh, Dr. Dre, um, you know, Dr. Dre from uh, Yo! MTV Raps. um, Probably what most of you listening right now uh, recognize him from. Um, but you're going to hear a very in-depth conversation surrounding uh, the relationship with the Beastie Boys and Run DMC and the importance of not only the relationships that you're 
presently in that you regard, but also the, the you'll hear a very deep conversation and respect to the ones that came before you, the importance of the history of the MCs and the groups that came before the Beastie Boys and Run DMC and what that meant or what they meant to them and what fueled them and pushed them to go harder. So you, 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 you get the theme of uh, relationship within this conversation uh, that I'm about to play. That's awesome. It is. That sounds really cool. It is cool. And uh, we're going to get into that right now. So Miriam Tazi, sit back, enjoy the listen, and uh, I'll be back right after this. Where's Joey at? Come on. Run, oh, Run is here. DMC is stuck in traffic right now. So Joey Simmons is here instead of him for a few minutes. And actually, he's been here for the whole night. He just popped in on us. Chuck D got the Woody Guthrie Award this weekend. Very proud of him. Yes, Chuck. Daryl Mack. bring it to when I shot these guys, it was just all about passion for the things that were inspiring me. 
I started shooting skateboarding because I was a skateboarder. I started shooting punk rock because I went to punk rock shows. I started shooting hip hop because I love the culture and the music. And I felt they weren't being portrayed, honestly, all those things the way they should be. So I took it as a personal responsibility to just do the best job I could and serve these guys and everyone I ever shot with the best work possible. And so you start with skateboarding and that was sort of the first subculture that you're photographing and then how did you actually... I was 14 years old. There was no word subculture. Okay. It was just my friends. <laughs> yeah. And then how did you meet these guys? What was the transition? What was your... These guys? Yeah, these guys. These guys I met, well, after skateboarding, or not really after, slowly it, it progressed into punk rock. And one day at a punk rock show, I was introduced to a kid with a skateboard, and his name was Adam Yauk, and he was in a band called the Beastie Boys. And because of my relationship with Adam Yauk, when they first came, by the way, in the introduction to this book, there's like 5,000 words. I never wrote so much since I was in school. And it tells you everything about every photo in the book in that introduction. And I tell this story in there a little bit. But I met Adam Yauk, and, um, and because of that, their first time they ever came to Los Angeles was on Madonna's Like a Virgin tour. They were only on that tour because, of course, Russell wouldn't let Run DMC go out on that tour. And he pretended he didn't, that he managed the Fat Boys because they asked for him next, but he didn't manage them. And he just said, just take these guys, so the Beastie Boys ended up going on tour with Madonna, her very first time out on the road. And when they were coming to Los Angeles, they didn't know anyone else yet, so they called me, and they said, Glenn, could you show us around? We wanna go here and here. And I said, well, I'll take you there, but I won't take you to the valley. I'll take you some other places. And I got them on the radio, on punk rock radio shows and stuff like that, and then I took these pictures, and Russell and Rick and all these people saw the photos, and then all of a sudden, I'm in California, going to UCLA at the time, and from that moment on, anyone who came out to California was seeing me um, for photographs and for helping to manage the groups and stuff like that. I did everything for Def Jam out there in the early days. I was helping them promote records, but mostly, you know, I was taking pictures of these groups and helping them get along because it was new territory for a lot of them. And that's how I met these guys. When they came to Los Angeles with Russell and Rick, who had already seen my photos, it was just, you know, it was just natural. It just happened. So I want to talk a little bit, you touched just on that sense of place, that sense of New York and LA and, you know, specifically Washington Square Park, Hollis Ave. What type of role do you feel like these places play in the photographs? Do you feel like they're, you know? Well, you know, in hip hop photography, I think a lot of it was done in the studio. I think maybe photographers were afraid to go out Right. on the street and that's actually where that's actually where I always worked right I always worked with the groups where they lived that's I think that's what kind of separated my work from everyone else's and a few people have done that before but the quality wasn't really there I think and so I mean of course to shoot the Beastie Boys in Washington Square Park is a no-brainer when I had hung out with Run DMC a couple times and there was time for them to do you know their tour book and their merchandise and stuff and we hung out in LA and got along really well they brought me from California to shoot pictures that they needed for their merchandise for the following year for their tour book. And so where else am I going to shoot it but in their own neighborhood? And, you know, we hung out for like two or three days and just walked all around Hollis with me and Joe and just had a great time. And you could see it in the photos, you know, I mean, it was, uh, and there's a lot of those pictures in the book from that very first session out in Hollis. I don't know if these guys remember it that well, but I sure do. It was a, it was a, it was a cultural experience for me. It was really great. And it was really fun also because shooting Run DMC was really the first time I ever shot anything that was really in demand. 
you know, people didn't really care that much, you know, about my punk rock photos except for other punk rockers, right? And that's okay, because I was doing it for our friends and for us, but Run DMC and the Beastie Boys were like blowing up. People needed these photos, and you know, I, again, it was my responsibility to make good ones with them, I thought, and to really show what they're doing and where they live in a real way, and um, you know, I think that's what I did. So now I want to get some feedback from you guys. You're in New York, Run DMC. You're, you've got Glenn here taking your photograph. Daryl, let's start with you. What, do you remember what your first impression of, of this situation was? Or? No, I mean, it was like, wow, this is what you do when you make records. Yeah. Take photos. That's the first impression. You know, Michael, he was a nice guy. He didn't seem like he was, um, he didn't seem like he was doing a job. Felt like a friend. Yeah? I would agree with that. Um, Glenn was definitely not doing a job. Right. <laughs> <laughs> because yeah. I, I, my favorite story is getting in the back of his Benz, high, like usual. No, he's never high. I was very high. I got my McDonald's, and he looks back and says, Joe, and he hates when I say, tell us, Joey, don't get the ketchup on my car. And I was thinking, Wow, this dude's really caring about this car. <laughs> it's not like a new Benz. I, don't know. <laughs> I just sat there high and kept eating and thinking, this dude is like, it went through my mind like some, on some snob stuff. I'm what like, kind of Benz was it? I don't know, little, little Benz. And he said, it was a big one? Yeah. And he said, Jay Marlin later. What year was it? 71. It was 71 and, and we were, it was 85. <laughs> It was 71, but we were doing this in 84, 85. So it wasn't small, it was old, same thing. It wasn't grand. He wasn't like Eric B or something. It was just a little bit. So I just sat there, kept eating my sandwich, thinking, I don't care. I can't catch him, get some in your car. And I hated the fact that the McDonald's in LA, they put mustard for no reason. So I probably ended up getting ketchup and mustard. Back to the point. Back to the point. He wasn't working. He was just hanging with us and happened to have a camera. That's how I felt. And Jay borrowed, tell it, Jay borrowed your car story. Well, you know, you know, that's a testament just to Jay and our friendship back then. Because Jay's the only person I ever let drive my car without me in it. Yeah, I, I let it one Because you know, these guys would come to LA and they'd just be running around. We'd be having a good time. And they, you know, they were becoming big stars. But Jay needed a, a car to drive one day. He didn't have a rental car. Right. He just asked me if he could borrow the car for an hour. Who knows where he was going in the hood to do something with it. And, uh, but, you know, but I trusted Jay like that. And he brought it back in one piece. There was no problems. It was good. He was a sweetheart of a man, I'll tell you. We, we all miss him very much. And, uh, you know, you can see it in the photos in the book, too. As a matter of fact, on the uh, inside back cover, I have like a little memorial for him and for uh, MCA. It's incredible that, um, you know, some of the times that we've lived through and some of the people that we've lost along the way, but uh, I'm not gonna bring that down now. Let's keep it happy, let's keep going. Yeah, maybe, Chuck, maybe you could tell us a little bit about your first encounter with Glenn. Do you feel like, there you go. Was he the type of photographer that was telling you what to do? You should, I want to get this pose, what kind of... Totally. Yeah. <laughs> see, I figured. see, he worked with Run DMC on Run DMC and Jam Master Jay granting him the photography job. He was appointed to us. <laughs> so Glenn always felt that we were equals. Matter of fact, he felt that he got a little bit of seniority on us because <laughs> I do this true, shit I and you knew. 
So that's where that came from. And but, but yeah, so we came, we, 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 and we butted heads, but we butted good heads because I come from an art graduate degree and, and Glenn is a teacher and also came from it. So we came up with a lot of innovations, but a lot of that also was off the heels of what he already done professionally with the Beasties and also with Run and D and J. And, and we wanted to borrow some of that aesthetic in our own way. They were like Batman and we were like the Green Hornet. You know what I'm saying? So, uh, we had the short little TV show that maybe was a part of the big thing. So yeah. So yeah, Glenn came in like gangbusters with. I think there needs to be a drop shadow on the P and the uh, enemy. And by the way, since I shot the Yo Bummer's show album and it takes a nation of millions album, I want a royalty. <laughs> yeah, he shakes his head, but he, remember he asked for a royalty, and I was I like, "That's so. incredible." He doesn't believe it. Chuck knows it for a fact. But I'll say, you know, I met Chuck actually, and if everyone doesn't know, Chuck is here because he wrote something for the book, and Chuck is here because he's a huge Beastie Boys fan and a huge Run DMC fan. Chuck is a music lover, and that's why I asked him to write something for the book. I want to steal every book up in here. <laughs> the book book. Um, but uh, but I met Chuck at a Run DMC show. I mean that's where we first met. I had heard his records before. You know, uh, Rick Rubin brought out their demos, and I loved Public Enemy. The first time I heard it was one of the most incredible things I ever heard. And then I got to meet Chuck. I thought he was going to be about six foot eight and three hundred pounds, and he just turned out to be about thirty pounds lighter than he is now, but about the same height, maybe fifteen. And um, but Chuck befriended me very quickly. He you know he knew my work. Chuck had even already seen my My Rules. Photozine, the punk rock magazine. I mean, this guy's a connoisseur. He knew, you know, he knew about all my music already. I didn't have to tell him anything. But he also knew that I worked with Run DMC and the Beastie Boys. But when I heard their demos, I was like, I have to do this record cover. This is something. These are people that are going to be friends of mine. It was the most overtly political hip hop record of that time, and that's why I put myself in that position to say I'm going to work with these guys, and they respected me because of what I had done. So it worked out great, you know. We yeah, to me, I was biased. To me, Run DMC, Jam Master J is the greatest group in the world. So I was like, fuck R&B, fuck rock, fuck all them. Run DMC, Run DMC, I was a Run DMC groupie. So I was like, I don't really care about anybody else. These guys are my number one group of all time, my number one artist, and I don't give a fuck about nobody else's list. <laughs> Wouldn't be a Beastie Boys if it wasn't for Run DMC. No, I was just gonna say, Glenn is funny though, because Glenn will try to make you do something that you don't want to do. Like he always, we always said, now nah, we ain't doing it <laughs> all the time. Do you want a good picture or not? Do what I'm saying. My mama, he would tell us to do like the one of Joey burned down and do you? Nah, we ain't doing it. He tried. No, he tried. He's very creative and innovative, but some of the innovation. A lot of it was, no, we're not doing that. Remember that? <laughs> we were defiant and mischievous. But what happened with, with actually, would you go to Jay to see if everybody could be? Was, was Jay, where was Jay? Jay was a teacher. Jay was the organizer. Jay was If I spoke to Jay first, they would listen. Yeah, to yeah, yeah, yeah. For sure. Yeah. That's, That's the truth. That's Chuck the truth. knows us good because me and yeah, D sure. were just mischievous um, um, chipmunks. 
just run around doing whatever we want until Jay said, y'all suckers, we gotta do this, and we go, okay. Listen to Glenn, you know yeah. what he's doing. Yeah. Yeah. That, that, that kept things in order. Jay, Jay was our union leader. <laughs> Walk This Way wouldn't even be the way it is without no, Jay. What I really like in the book is that you've got those casual shots. You've got the, you know, they're playing basketball, they're hanging out, they're being themselves, but then you also have these posed shots where it's, a, you know they're, close friends, you guys are part of this amazing group, they're tight, they're together, you've got your arms crossed, it's a very interesting but intimate portrayal of them, and you know, do you, is that something you just built up over time with them, is that something that just came out of them and you're there and capturing it, is it a spontaneous? No, we, we liked we liked to pose and fold our arms and yeah. get up in the camp. So he wasn't, some of the things Dee was saying that we didn't want to do like whatever, that was crazy, but the ones you see where we like, yeah. holding yeah. out, you know, and right. no. that was B-Boy, yeah. we wanted to do that. But the truth is, sometimes I had to tell him to relax on that, it looked a little corny. <laughs> I, I, had to, I mean, sometimes, and that's why some of them look more like relaxed and more yeah. posed. I mean, when they're playing basketball, of course, they're just hanging out in between shots, and I just decided to, I mean, I only have three exposures of them playing basketball, and one's of D, one's of Jay, one's of Joe, and they're all in the book, you know. Um, go ahead. Yeah. No, I was just going to say that um, Glenn was just hanging around. I think he, after a while, once he got in, he wasn't leaving because he was always around with the camera. I guess that was a good plan. They were inspiring me, you know, and I knew that they were important, and I knew they were inspiring a lot of other people, and I think good pictures needed to be made. You know, I mean, the truth is, is right after those first few visits, I tell the story in the book, I don't know if you remember this, I remember it because I was very impressed and I was very happy, but there was a moment where we were making pictures together so often that Joey actually told management, I don't want anyone else to take our told pictures. Who? He told management. That's what? that you didn't want anyone else taking your pictures except you? for me. Wow, I probably said it. <laughs> and uh, that was early in the beginning, and then they got the Rolling Stone shoot, and they said, well, if you want the cover of Rolling Stone, Glenn can't do it. And that was the end of that. We didn't say that. That's what, that's they what Rolling said Stone that. said that. Oh, Rolling they Stone. And then they ended up having a really corny picture of them on the cover of Rolling Stone. I like that, that picture. It's whack. That's all you want to say. <laughs> I that picture up yesterday. You guys in the studio stacked up like a totem pole. It's ridiculous. <laughs> Very judgmental about other photographers. Oh, about good photography. Glenn would fight another photographer. <laughs> I mean, he was. I mean, Glenn was the first. He was the first photographer in hip hop that seriously, seriously wanted to be revered as an artist. I mean, he was the first artist as a photographer. Well, I took it seriously. You know, all these other people were hacks. They're just fucking publicity photo people. You know what I'm saying? I'm trying to portray a culture to people so people see what the fuck is really going on. That's what I really wanted to do. And other people, I, again, they were just pretenders. They were coming in for the day. And you know, I was living the culture as much as I possibly could at the time. I loved it. And, I, and again, I thought the reason the picture's are as good as they are is because these guys inspired me to do that good work, right? I had to do it for them. It's just like in the Dogtown days, I had to take great, back then I was just a kid, but the truth is, if I didn't take good pictures, I wouldn't be hanging out. And then the other thing is, I can't always, is that Chuck Chillout? Yes, sir. Right underneath the brim, I can tell, after 30 years. Welcome Chuck Chillout into the house. Good to see you, Chuck. Said a man to ask another question because we, I know it's good you interrupted us before because you know these old men we could just talk forever. No, I mean that's why we're all here, so you know. 
I want to talk a little bit about the mythology of this era. You know, now we've got these amazing photographs that are really pinpointing this moment in time. It's how we remember hip hop. It's how we remember the pioneers of this genre. You know, do you guys look back and reminisce and say that, oh, I remember this, I know what that was like. Is it, is it more of a, you know, are there, is there anything specific that you were like, that was taken at this time and, you know? D? Uh, no, not to me. I remember one, one, one fact. Glenn, I don't know, you took this picture over in Hollis. It was the first time anybody wore a Raiders jacket, and D had the Raiders jacket over by the Hollis uh, overpass. A lot of people said, yo, Chuck, you ain't from LA, but you wore a Raiders jacket for the first time. I said, no, and I was on your cover. D shot the Raiders jacket for, the, for one of the singles. That profile, walk this way, walk this way right? That profile felt that was important to put um, photo art on singles. Did you find that there was an obstacle back then? Well, what happened was that profile, I tell the story in the book too, at, at the time, 12-inch singles did not, at profile records, did not have picture sleeves. Right. And, you know, I was a, as a little skate rat, I was an Aerosmith fan. And, you know, the A&R guy at, at, uh, at profile came to me and said, Glenn, we need a picture for the front of this. but." You know, if you charge us your usual rate, we're not going to do it. Wow. We're just going to keep a picture on it. All we can give you is a hundred dollars. <laughs> I'm like, really? And you're my friend. Even in '87, that's very, very little. And but you know, they just took advantage, and that's what a lot of fucked up record companies did. They just took advantage of people, and that's why I didn't do work for them most of the time. But you know, it was Aerosmith, it was Run DMC, and I just said, okay, I, you know, I got to do it, and we got the photo, and I actually went to Rush the Rush Def Jam offices, just right after I did that, and I told him I'd do it, I told Joey the story, and Joey just shook his head, and said, here, man, and he reached into his pocket, pulled out a knot, and peeled off $400 bills. He says, here, I hope this helps. I did that? He did that. <laughs> I got $500 for the popular rap singles of the entire decade. <laughs> That's all right. I was proud to be on it. It was good. And it, and it was the first time they ever had a picture sleeve. Because they said, if you don't give us the photo, we're not going to have a picture sleeve. We're just going to stay with the same old red sleeve. And I said, okay, and, let's do it. And, and how many more records did that record sell, especially the black fans, because it had a picture sleeve? Absolutely. Yeah. What are you going to do? Right? I, mean, I mean, we were always, like, even later on with Jeff Jam, we was like, picture sleeve, picture sleeve, picture sleeve. Well, we don't know if it's in the budget, but... Because a lot of inroads that were done in 85, 86, you know, 87, 88, they were less of a fight. And, and also because of you, Glenn, because, oh man, Glenn would bitch, he would fight. <laughs> he would be like, yo, you gotta have the picture sleeve on this. What the fuck are you doing? You know what I'm saying? I looked this? out for my friends. I looked out for the artists that I work with. I mean, if they needed something, I would make it happen. And the truth is, the real truth is, on a lot of different occasions, being the white guy in the room, you get more shit done back then. And probably now, too. Being the whiny white guy. <laughs> <laughs> oh, shit. We know. We benefited off that, man. We, we fought for each other. That's right. We all fought for each other. The truth is. The truth, and, you know, with Chuck, it's like, you know, and a lot of the groups back then, it's like, 
a lot of the record labels, they didn't want to work for me, with me, because of my reputation, but people would say, we need Glenn, and, and that's really how it, no record company ever came to me looking for me to do work. It was always the groups that asked me to do the work. The groups were the ones that insisted that I do the job, and you know, in the end, the proof is in the pudding. We could look at the books, we could look at all the pictures, and you know, we did a good job, I think. And, and back to your question about the era and how it worked and how people look at it now. I think when we made these photos, and this is true for all the photos I ever made, you know, we were making them in the moment to inspire people at the moment, right? No one had any idea that anyone would care about this five years beyond, or even yeah. two years beyond. The fact that they inspire people still to this day is just amazing and incredible. And it's great, it's gratifying to know that this work that you did, that we all did when we were young, is still something that people care about and that it still inspires people. What's better than inspiring people? Nothing. Absolutely. How many photographs do you think you've taken? Not many. No, I don't shoot a lot of film. These guys can tell you if they've been in front of my camera. I'm very, I wait for the moment. And you know, sometimes, I mean, when we did Chuck's It Takes a Nation of Millions album cover, we shot less than one roll of film. We were in a jail cell and in the, in the, in the Midtown Traffic Bureau, and I probably shot 20 exposures. And half of them, the exposures were off because you know, we're not talking about automatic exposure or cameras. I'm experimenting with natural light and ambient light. And yeah, we had like, you know, that's a whole nother story. For Day, but for a lot of these photos, you know, we didn't do that much. I mean, that those days in Hollis, I probably shot several rolls a day, but I didn't, you know, we're not talking in the thousands even of images. I have a couple hundred images of Run DMC, and most of them are in the book. You know, I didn't waste film. Right, right, yeah. We got another guy in the house, Dr. Dre. Yo, Dre. Oh, Dre. Oh. What up, Dre? Dr. Dre. I would do a Beastie Boys book only if it's 
run DMC and the Beastie Boys, because one is responsible for the other, and they both work together so much. Did you contact them ahead of time and say, look, I'm, I'm no, interested? No, no. I just went ahead and said, I'm good, because I mean, I had these photos, and in my even in the My Rules book, there's actually more photos of Run DMC than any other single group. I mean, they were so photogenic, and I got so many good photos of them relative to the rest of my archive, too. And I just also thought, you know, all my books, you know, the Beastie Boys alone wouldn't have necessarily been a political statement, especially if you're starting with my first photo of them in 84, 85, right? But if I could put these two groups together and show and call it together forever based on one of their songs, and that kind of expresses, that's a political statement in itself. There's some racial unity here. There's some, you know, brotherhood here. And I thought both of them in the book together, at least it's not just the beautiful photos. We could say something about that and how, you know, both of these groups separate but equal and did so much great work together, they would make a good book and that was gonna be the only way I was gonna do it. At one point I had the title from Chuck, Chuck always used to call the whole Rush Def Jam group of groups, the extra strength posse. And, um, and we all, and, and Charles loved that title. I, and then I actually said, no, it's a bit corny for a title. Book. Yeah. So I just went back to together forever. And, and that stuck, and then everyone decided to like that. And you know, I had this, um, you know, uh, the editor who's here tonight, uh, Jessica, introduced me to a great designer, um, Matthew Vuitton, uh, who, who now works with Dave Chappelle full time, and has designed some incredible books and uh, some incredible record covers. He, he redoes all the old soul records and stuff, all the re-releases Marvin Gaye stuff, and he's now in charge of like the Prince Archive or something, but he's a really great guy, and he worked hand in hand with me to design the book and did a great and job. And I know that you really thought out the layouts, you know, how to pair the photographs together, you know, make sure it's equally balanced, all those things. Absolutely, I mean, I always do that. My books are pretty meticulous, yeah. I'm pretty particular. I, I've done, all my books prior to this I designed by myself. Uh, the last one, Shepard Ferry, helped a little bit, but, the, but this is the one that was uh, uh, more of a you know, collaborative effort, effort with a real designer. All right. That, that, yeah. feeling, that feeling just like went back in, a, in the best of ways, just the, the atmosphere and the emotion of those times, it was so raw. I used to get the stories from Dre, who was ac actually out there DJing for the Beastie Boys during Raising Hell. He used to be like, damn. Damn, dude, I just want to come out there for like a week just to hang with y'all. But that was 86, right, Dre? Uh, yes, it was. Yeah, I'm going to give you this mic, bro. <laughs> yeah, it was. Dre, and for people who don't know, Dr. Dre, before he was the OMTV Raps, like I said, he was in the band Original Concept, and he had his radio show, WBAU, out in Long Island. But he was also the Beastie Boys DJ after Rick Rubin. He was the next DJ. I guess I was the second hardest working man in show business at the time. <laughs> Because I, I would fly all over the place, and I still have to get back on Monday nights for WBAU, the operating room, which again, that's where Chuck and I and a guy named Mr. Bill Stephanie met at Adelphi University. And uh, that's how Rick Rubin got to listen to a song called Public Enemy Number One, which we used to have tape battles on the bus with the Beasties. They would play me, Aerosmith, and um, who else? Uh, uh, oh, you name any rock band at that time. He would play all that stuff, and I'd say, oh, really? Well, what about this? And I'd play, yo, Chuck, yo, Chuck, check this out. And they were like, what is that? What is that? I mean, besides having Rick, Rick, the funniest story about that whole song was when I took that song for, to play for Rick in his dorm room, and uh, Russell Simmons was asleep on the, on the um, futon, which was probably usual. And I put the song in the cassette player, because Rick said, I got to hear this. They keep telling me about this, Dre, just play it. 
So I play it, and before Chuck gets to go, what goes on? Well, pow! Russell gets up, takes the tape out, and throws it out the window. I go, what is wrong with you? What is your problem? He said, that'll never work. That's garbage. I said, really? Damn. Uh, I guess Public Enemy, how many millions of records sold later? So that's kind of how the whole bridge started, and going back and forth and being a part of this Def Jam entity, which I, I, it, it was by chance, because the song that we started with, Can You Feel It, and Knowledge Me, it, it, those were radio plugs that we did at BAU. Those are songs we did on the radio that we were like, yeah, okay, this is funny. And Jam Master J and Run DMC thought it was hysterical. I said, yo, go play this with my brother. I said, never again. <laughs> never again. So I went and I went over to Rick and I played it for Rick and Rick fell off the bed. He said, this is hysterical. This is crazy. You got to sign to this. And I kept saying, what am I going to do next? <laughs> I mean, that was a promo we did for BAU, but eventually we came up with our old album, Straight Out Straight from the Basement of Cooley High. Not only did I do that, but uh, my group, Original Concept, and I wrote the song on Reason Hell called Proud to Be Black. Yes, we did. Yes, we did. We're also responsible. Were you one of the first persons that did you play on your radio station? One of the first people to ever play Run DMC on the radio? Well, that was our first interview in history was at WBAU. That's so famous because we got on. Yeah. Remember that? Bill Stephanie, yeah. 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 That was our first interview ever. There's a to talk about circumcisionists like that. There's a famous picture. <laughs> and a funny joke about that, when we went to the studio, this is when we went to the station, you, you walk in and um, Mr. Bill was there, Chuck was there, Hank, everybody was there. But in this other room was this dude with a clock on answering the phone. <laughs> Going, yo, T, Flavor, 30, that was 35 years ago? Yeah, yeah. Right? We're 40 years old. Flavor now, play same guy back then. His job was to answer the phone. I'll never forget that. Well, that, that's deep. There's a famous picture of Run DMC and myself, along with the great Jam Master J, that's in the Smithsonian University. I'm wearing a hat that says the concept in the jersey that says Westbury, from where I went, grew up and went to school. And, um, Harry Allen, uh, Harry Visuals, Allen. Visuals. Yeah. Harry yeah. Allen, I'm about to ask him, took that picture, and that picture just went crazy, and Bill Adler put it in a, in a gallery one time, and they said somebody bought it, and they took it down to the Smithsonian, which I'm still waiting to go down and see it, hanging on the wall, because it's just a blessing to have been with all these gentlemen, and do the things that we did, and travel the world with them, and you know what the one thing about it was? I remember when Glenn did an original concept photo shoot, and we dragged him out to Westbury, and we took a picture on this bridge, and Glenn was like, this, seriously guys, this is what you're talking about? Because the first thing we did is, we went to find a brick wall so we could emulate Run DMC. <laughs> and take a picture, Glenn said, you guys don't have anything but brick walls around here? So we just started going any other place and said, yeah, this is better, this is much, much better. All right, well, we're gonna turn this over to Q&A real quick. So we've got our friend in the audience with the mic down here in front. This is great. I was. I have a question for Chuck. Uh, I came across the Harlem Globetrotters story that you. I think it was you that was the narrator. It's been done many years yeah, ago. Joey saw it last night too. Yeah, I literally just stumbled on it the other day. I think it was May '95 or something. But anyway, I always uh, find it interesting the name of a group that, that gets chosen. I mean, they get sometimes there's some ridiculous ideas, but then the one that gets chosen. So I think um, Public Enemy is a very heavy, interesting. 
it, it really works. I'm wondering the genesis, who thought of it? Do you remember the moment it came up? Was it like, that's the name? Was it one of those moments that you all said, this is it, or? We were, we were DJs. Well, I gave you the dress. Oh, okay. <laughs> we were DJs, so I, we had to judge songs in the record pool, sometimes 400 songs with 396 of them being kind of like, well, we can't use this one. So I remember the first time we got a promo from Profile, and it said, Run DMC. And we were like, what the, f this is a car or something. And we thought it was a car. And the first time we heard anything, or the beat of Sucker MC, they use it for a Kawasaki commercial. And they used to, and I was like, yo, uh, Kiss is playing this as a Kawasaki commercial. I don't think it's playing a goddamn song. But it, Run DMC was just such a like, an innovative name that that changed the whole way that groups had to name themselves, man. That you just couldn't name yourself you know, Billy D plus the, you know, the, the Urgent Five or something. <laughs> you had to be like, like Run DMC sounds like it's 2000. And, um, and Public Enemy was a simple thing because I had Public Enemy number one as a demo tape. And then, you know, Hank simply said, you know, when we were searching for something, he said, he just, man, just call it Public Enemy. And that's how that happened. So that's, how, that's what happened with that. It's a good name. Can each of you please share something personal to you about Adam Yauch? Well, I got the mic right now, so Yauch was a very unique voice. You would look at him and think that Mike D or Adam Arvins was the real MC, but then you would hear this amazing voice. And I just remember um, hearing that he was uh, the janitor in his building. Did you ever hear that? The superintendent. superintendent in the building. And he was like, yeah, he can't make it today because he's opening the building and stuff. <laughs> and he had these sneakers. I just, these, these are just my brain just going rambling. These long white sneakers, dirty. And then let's go, we And the whole gravelly voice thing. And it was just amazing to look at him for me and think that he knew how to MC. Like, like this guy who's the superintendent of the building, who dresses like this and looks like this, really raps really, really good. To me, I was very judgmental, because I thought, oh, I'm the king, I'm the best. And I'm looking at, yeah, I knew Adam Harvitz would, would rap the way he rapped, and Mike D was what he did, but this guy was like, wow, an amazing rapper that's the superintendent of a building <laughs> and wears this leather jacket and just doesn't look like he should be rapping, yet he raps like a superhero. So that's my thought. I'm, I'm gonna go with Joey's story because I would ever, when I saw, you know, Yao, he was always super quiet, man, always quiet. And later on, it's like, yo, and then later on, you know, Yao was always super quiet when I, you know, engaged with him. Maybe one or two words was were, were said, exchanged, but then later on, man, it would come out, and he was like, like you know, like he was like the just the like the the MC that that Mike D bounced off of, and also Ad Rock bounced off of, but also also to keep it 
a little bit about Beasties. Traveling on the first tour with them, opened up for License to Ill in 87. I would be nervous as hell, man. Like, what the hell am I out here for, man? I'm 27. Why well, I need not to do this shit, man? Kid never be like Run DMC, so what the hell are we doing? We gotta figure out an identity. And we were playing someplace, I think we played Buffalo. And they were so drunk on the stage, they used to call it pissy. All these guys used to drink pissy. Like, <laughs> I got so, the next story then. So, <laughs> so Mike D was so drunk, he fell out on the stage. And he was laughing his way through a verse. And I was like, yo, you could do that? And I was never nervous again. I'm like, this dude is laughing and drunk and, and, and in love. Well, I'm not going to be nervous. I ain't going to be tight. And that opened me up. That's wow, sweet. good story. Can I, can, I, can I jump in on the story real quick? Real quick. Um, at the time we were signing to Def Jam, there was a group. We were known as the concept, the concept, and we were proud of that. We were a DJ group, we're like, concept, everybody knows us, we're good, the concept. Then this group came out with this record, and the name of the group was called The Concept, and I called Brick up in a panic. Brick, this is, yo, we gotta come out, this, this is this whack record. I just got it in my record pool. By The Concept, we're, we're done. Brick said, man, just come on in the city, let's talk about it. I run in the city, because Brick loved me driving, my mother's old deuce of the quarter, 78, this land yacht. He just loved it. I had no registration, two separate different plates, beautiful time to drive. So I go in there and I, I run in there, I'm sitting there talking to Rick, and Rick's looking around him, and Yak is there, Yak is sitting in the chair. And Yak's like, really? They, they call the concept? I said, yeah. So, forget that. We Original concept. <laughs> I'm sitting there, and Rick's like, yeah, yeah, original concept. That's the name. I got a frown on, like, I hate that name. Original concept. Serious? You think that's going to work? Y'all was like, for me, y'all can I spend time with this tour with these other young men? And we would sit in the front of the bus and have breakfast, which would be, um, five-year-old scotch and a Budweiser. And he would tell stories to me. He said, Dre, keep drinking. The story gets better. I said, no, it doesn't. I'm getting drunk. And, it's, and it's, I said, it's breakfast time. He said, no, this is okay. This is okay. This is healthy. This is good for you. It'll help you lose weight. I'm like, what are you, and, he, and this, this was our conversations in the morning. But I mean, this was one of the most beautiful men that I had the privilege of working with. Um, acting a fool with, and I can remember the time I drove him to my house in Westbury, and his eyes got this this big. He and Mike did. He said, "You guys really have all these records? Are you for real?" Because he walked to my basement. He said, "You you guys are like a studio down here." I said, "Yeah, but we DJ," and he couldn't understand the concept of us carrying these big speakers out of my basement and going to the park and playing. And until I showed him one time, he said, "Yo, you're crazy." That's just crazy. You guys actually do that. I said, yeah, that's how, that's how we do. That's a young story. I remember we was in, it was the Together Forever tour. It was in Paris. And um, that's when they had the girl, naked girl, well, not naked girls, but they can't be clad women in the cages. And they would throw the Budweiser on the stage during the whole show. And I remember, I forgot what record it was, but I remember Yauk, he slipped. And he went about 50 feet and then he slipped like that. And he went up, because he was real skinny and light. 
He slipped and his mid show, everybody was going crazy. I mean, he went like 50 feet in the air. He came down real hard. Bam! And the, the whole venue stopped. And then he just got up and started dancing. But I thought he was dead. You remember that night? Remember that night? We thought he was dead. We said he dead. He went up.
just wanted to say it's an honor to see all y'all on stage right now together. Um, my name is Namal, I'm going to Tap Waters. Um, I, I got a movement called Forward of the City, the rap group. And um, it's like, I think I, I have met, met you before, I think, but I just really wanted to say that um, my question is about inspiration. Because like when I, when I was 17, I had got shot by my cousin playing around with a gun. It left me paralyzed, I thought my life was over. And then I met my partner, his name was Rick. In a wheelchair too, he's a producer. And um, a lot of what we're doing now is making music to inspire people, and, like change the world, and talking about things like going like gun violence, accessibility, and all this stuff. And the way we've been doing it is kind of modeled after both of y'all groups. And it's not like something we actually thought of. So it's crazy to see y'all here right now because it happened organically. Because a lot of times when we perform, it's like in places where people don't really respect rap. And they don't really um, think that it has a point or a voice. And like that's where we got like our fearlessness from, from like public enemy to talk about things that matter. And then making sure that we represented how we look by what y'all did with Run DMC, because y'all represented where hip hop in the streets was. So when we go to places, we like combine those two things. So we had we had y'all to look at for that. I was just wondering where did y'all get that inspiration from and that courage to be able to be like, I'm gonna speak up for this, for these, for these issues, and I'm also gonna dress dope like and represent for my culture at the same time. Like where did y'all get your inspiration from for that? And and what and what what kept y'all going to keep doing it? Well, number one, man, I mean, like I said earlier, the great greatest group of all time. The reason was, I think, because when recorded art game in, in, into play. And like I said, to me, like greatest ever, I mean, Grandmaster Flash and the Furious Five MCs, I just, they just left me, and Drake could attest to this, just like awestruck, your mouth is just open. It was no game. Run DMC and Jam Master J, trust me, man, no, no fucking game. Two people might thought whatever they thought about hip hop and rap music, it's kids music and all, nah, man. It was grown up, get down shop. And if your shit wasn't right, man, don't even go near that stage, man, because it's coming right. It was it was straight up grown up's business. Now, yeah, they having a ball at it, but it was straight up. And number one, you wasn't getting past Jay's intensity, man, because you don't don't be fucking up and running into Jay. It was just like he, I mean, it ain't like nobody don't beat you down and shit like that, but it's like, yo, this is serious business here. You do your thing. You represent the art form, and you and you leave, and this is the number one rule, I don't care what y'all say about whoever your top list are. The number one rule that these gentlemen set in stone, that you want people to come in and leave better than how they came. That was the number one rule. That's got sloppy over the years, because I mean, even promoters, they worry about the gate, what comes in the gate. I said, are you concerned about how they leave? Because after you left, run DMC, the bar is high, and they're like, shit, I'll go see them again, and again, and again, and again. That was the rock rule. So Public Enemy coming a few years later, man, we had to follow that rule, or, or, you, or you stay home. Chuck, chill out playing shit on the radio, man. If it ain't, yo, Chuck is not looking at, yo, yo, Chuck, you gotta play this. Nope. Chuck is looking at the stack of records, man, and he throwing half of them shits in the garbage. Right? Am I right? So he's like going, it's like damn, so you had to come right in order for him to play it and, and, and about going into an arena, leave them 
have them leave better now they came in. So that goes with any message, what a song was about, have them singing your song, and that's what, that's what you're on the stage for. So I thank these gentlemen because they were the first, and I'm, I'm a few years older than them. So they were the first that made me say, well, this is serious business. Yeah, I'm an old man. I ain't gonna say high school shit, ever. You know what I'm saying? I ain't gonna worry about like a girlfriend, high school records, and ooh, ooh, and a lot of people were growing up into that. But I was a grown man, so I'm like, okay, they rhyming, I like hip hop. I'm 26, 27, there's gotta be some grown up shit, man. I got rent to pay, you know? <laughs> that shit, real shit, like, oh, my car's broke, I gotta get this fixed, I can't ask mommy for some money. This is grown man shit. And Run DMC came about and said, yo, man, not only is this grown man shit, but look out any rock group out there, and there was a time where hip hop and rap through Run DMC was knocking rock groups in the ass. While they had long ass hair and trying to figure out where they was, and they had Slaughter and all those other guys out there. <laughs> Run was knocking the fucking the ceiling off of arenas. And as much as y'all say that hip hop is whatever today, they're not packing an arena. You're not seeing like 20,000 people hold their Adidas in the air. Mm -hmm. I, I went to the garden, and this is like the beginning, you know, Dre ushered me in with Jay, and I checked out Run and D and Jay at the garden. And so I'm like, you know, Chuck, you know, it ain't so bad, man. You ain't too old, just do this shit, man. Come on with us, man. And um, I'm watching the whole thing, so when everybody hold their, their sneakers up in the air, later on I saw Jay, Jay was like, so it ain't that bad, is it? <laughs> I'm like, nah, not that bad. Yeah, I'll, I'll, I'll okay, sounds good. I'm, I'm family with y'all. And, and we all family, I said, this is, uh, this is amazing, man. I grew up as a sports fan, whatever I used to see. Oh damn, that's Willie Mays and Hank Aaron and Roberto Clemente, they on the same room, man. I, I feel the same about this stage, man. Can I say something real quick? I gotta say thank you, God bless, and if it wasn't for Run DMC and Jam Master J, they would say in their concerts, go for yours, we went for ours. Go for yours, we went for ours. And I watched that evolution of them being one of the first rap groups with a video with Rockbox on MTV. And I kept saying, damn, we're there. Then I watched them fight to put King of Rock on the air. Then I watched them do a concert, because I was there when they were at um, uh, Webster Hall. That was recorded for MTV. And then that got played. And we, because we would go back to BAU, we were like, did you see Run DMC on MTV? Know, right? This was this was before Michael Jackson and Prince got lapping, you know, approval. They were they were like, wait a minute, that would come on if you'd stop and look at it like they're there. What is this about? And I remember being in the garden that night, Chuck. You talk about with Leo Cohen, their manager at the time, and Russell, and they were there with the head of Adidas. And I forgot who said, whatever you do. You gotta let everybody know that everybody's wearing their Adidas out there. And I must remember if it was D or if it was Run, but the Run ran out there and they put the sneaker in the air and they turned the lights on in Madison Square Garden. Everybody, the food concession people, <laughs> the people sweeping up, everybody had Adidas from somewhere. If you had a suit on, you had the sneakers, you had the hat, you had something, and you knew then. 
And I think it was Dita came up to go like, my, and he just held it like a hard note. And when it dropped, uh, Dita's, the place you couldn't hear the words. Because the whole place was rocking. Not like Nick winning a basketball game. <laughs> like something, I, the last time I even closely experienced that was Parliament from Godella. But I'm not sure if I was high or if they were rocking the garden. But it was so loud, and the whole audience and everything was vibrating up and down, up and down. And no one, and your heart's going crazy. And I watched the Adidas guy go sit on the side of the stage, and we're pumping up this, and he just goes, deal's done, deal's done, deal's done. And he was like, no, no, get back here, more money, more money. I was like, I gotta, I gotta do this. This is what I have to do. This is my passion. It's this is what to, I love. It's hard to explain. I'm telling you, it's hard to. I mean, we had the, we had the honor to be on the Ron's house tour, and trust me, that was Ron's pretty much, pretty much showing everybody just fuck what you're saying, fuck the new group. This is our Ron's house. house, and you kind of knew it. Right. I remember one time Eric B came to pay a visit to our tour. It's an '88 Ron's house tour, and we were in the Houston. We was in the Houston Summit. So we was like, damn. All, all Eric B, who's another union leader, just like, <laughs> we're watching Joey and D and J go. It's the greatest hip hop concert I ever seen. I've been on 3,000, but I've never seen anything <laughs> like this. 3,000, you know, it was 20,000 people in the Houston Summit where the Rockets used to play. And everybody had their fedoras on, they had their Adidas. And every cut, and I think Joey was mad at something. He was mad at something at something, but this fucking, this night, this one night, remember I traveled the world with these guys, it was hit after hit after hit after hit after hit after hit after. I never seen, it was like, what do you call it? Like the, the sugary linen fucking assault? It was, it was relentless. It was like an hour and 25 minutes straight. And we were just looking, I was like, and you can't even, you can't even describe the, the atmosphere and in every cut, my, it's bedlam. And I've seen, a many, I've seen a lot of shows. I've been part of a lot of badass fucking shows. I've been in the rock shows. I cannot even repeat the intensity of that night and many other nights traveling the world with Run DMC. I can't explain it. So you, it's hard for y'all to tell your kids because you know, they gonna be looking at YouTube. YouTube is only gonna give you 25% of anything. You ain't gonna get the feeling out of it. You ain't gonna get the, it's never gonna bring back the time. But I would tell you, man, hip hop at its best. Chuck, chill out, I'll tell you. Hip hop, heaven. Every cut, boom. Only one to come really close with the one man avalanche is LL Cool who really seriously is a crime that he died in the Rock and Roll Hall of Fame. And um, nothing against Tupac, they like our nephews, and you know, this year they talk big in it, but LL don't get in as the first soloist, that's the biggest crime any organization can make. Because he was the one man that actually was the first one man dude to, to take on groups. Yep, by himself. Mm -hmm. By himself, right? Yeah. That. Yeah, pretty scary. Yeah. <laughs> that's another reason that was story to tell. <laughs> that was a lot of fun. I was very competitive, but I, I was very concerned about his growing <laughs> Very concerned about his red suit and the box and <laughs> muscles. And it was really concerning to me each and every night. Yeah. 
It was a lot to keep him off my neck. I heard you beat him on one night because y'all were doing the two tit for tat, and at the last you just took off your hat and threw it across the stage. Something. He wasn't going to do that with his I don't remember, but I was pretty competitive. But I want to say something. I'm happy toned down just a pinch because me and DMC, and I know D will attest this, are products of Cold Crush Brothers. And Grandmaster Kaz was so neat with his routines and Charlie Chase with the turntables that Daryl would bring home these tapes from Rice High School. And they never really got to make a big career in making music. You could get the detour, go ahead. But they were the best fucking thing ever. <laughs> When we was coming in to, well, you know, when we wrote it's like that, circum seas, and then we put Arch, Arch, and Master Jay out, and Russell says, y'all gonna make it out. So me and Ron was like, yo, Jay, if we gonna do this shit, we gotta do it like the Cold Crush. The reason why we were so dope, and it's just a beautiful thing, the reason why Run DMC is so incredible, it was a little sincere thing. We just wanted the approval of the Cold Crush. <laughs> So we wrote Tricky, My Adidas, everything that we did was to, because the Cold Crush, what was good about the Cold Crush was, everybody was, everybody was making records and everybody had their rhymes and stuff like that, but it was the Cold Crush who when everybody was trying to be show business, the Cold Crush, when they battled people, they wasn't trying to be fly, they didn't talk about having money. On that tape, they said, we don't need tuxedos because all we want to do is do a Kevin. They started calling names out. Kevin Rob, Master Robin Whip, and Ruby D like we always do. Say what? We battle fantastic. So here's a little gift. I had never heard nothing like this in hip hop. So before they go, we got to let them know just who they're fucking with. When I heard that, I said, right? That's how we come in at this that was like that. That was tricky. All that. Uh, uh, King of Rock, Rock, Rock. Back to the Cradle of the Silver. What was that? Oh, um, um, Northern MCs can't deal, deal with, with us because we are the ones known as the Cold Crush, putting fellas on the job, making fly girls rock. You know we got a funky song, so you can come and sing and dance along. Yeah. We got the two DJs on the wheels. It's like, they, 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 they didn't come and make Jordans and birthday rhymes. They talked about them and the art of DJing. So our greatness is Cold Crush, motherfucking tough ass old That's who we wanted. That's who we wanted to make sure. And and when we came in the game, nobody knew what to wear. So what we right. did was we kept on. What, what we everybody had was wearing in, in the hood. So, our, our pairs. Yeah, our a pair of sneakers, a pair of jeans, and we knew that's what the Cold Crush was doing. They would come dressed like they are. Shady things, with her bold English in his hand. Old English, all that shit. Pissy <laughs> drunk and rhyming and killing the mangoes. But it was very organized. It was very, no, it was very right. neat right. and routine. And, and the, the, the first rappers, you gotta give it up to the first rappers or the first MCs. So we're giving it to these guys because the way Chuck gave it to us, we wanna make right. sure it was a week that we didn't just come from the top of our dome. We had shit great shit. We was inspired. Yeah. Yeah. That's your question. Yeah. Run we DMC. were inspired. I had to go to the 
Yeah, yeah, no, it was being inspired by the old press. Like when Chuck gave me all that, I said, how am I gonna go back to the fact of where we got the shit from? Right. <laughs> Cause you was giving it to me so much, I was like, I can't let it end and let everything just be on our job. Right. Because there was something that we were inspired by and it wasn't no other group in the world no, besides no. for the Cold Crush. Yeah. There was other groups that tried to battle them, but nobody right. could beat Grandmaster. And you know, Grandmaster Kaz wrote the first hip hop record. Oh, Grandmaster Life. Grandmaster oh, Life was actually written by Grandmaster Kaz. So we gonna just take that juice and give it to Grandmaster Kaz. Yeah. Well, we gonna tell it. We gonna let him know. And we these records, it wasn't records that were made, so you can't go find the shit. And, 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 it was tapes. Right. That D would find in Harlem and bring home. Right. I, I, you I, might can Google and find some of it. But they on, they on some of them on YouTube. Really? Y'all need to go listen to it. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Amazing stuff. But the first rappers, the first MCs had no idols to look up to because they were the first. So that's a huge thing. So when they got in showbiz, though, their idols were, like Chuck said, Parliament, Funkadelic, Rick James, and the Rolling Stone. So when they got in, like, they was rapping, like, Melly Mel raps like me and run. Yeah. He just didn't do it on records. Like, Melly Mel and Mr. Ness, before Scorpio and Mr. Ness was, yes, yes, y'all, y'all, to the with echoes and all that. But when they got in show business, because of the commercial success of the message, they was like, okay, we're in show business now. They thought they had to change dress who they like, are. So, like when, when, right, so we said, we're going to dress like our idols, Parliament Funkadelic. When me and Run first made us like that and suck them seeds and, and we started getting, you know, it started being a hit. Russell would always say, you need stage clothes. And me and Run would go, yeah, we do, but we ain't wearing that shit. <laughs> <laughs> Remember? Yeah. We're going to dress like Jay. We're going to dress like Jay, yes. Yeah. The big hat. Big hat. Jay, the way Run is just real funny. The way Run DMC dressed, DJ Hurricane, the second DJ for the Beastie Boys after Dr. Dre, check this out. The way Run DMC dressed, Jam Master J and DJ Hurricane was dressing like that in middle school. <laughs> so yeah, so when, we, when it was time for us to, Jay came out of his, his house, we said, that's our stage outfit. Great story. Kane, Hurricane, and Jay wore velours. Stetson you had to be bold to wear those. Wearing clothes like that was a threat. Like, yeah, like you're not you taking my attention. hat, you're not taking my chain. I'm going no, we to might take your hat. Exactly. <laughs> so just wearing that type of stuff, is it's risky. So we something. combine the attitude of the cold crush with the style of Jam Master J and other young men and women from the streets, and that's how this hip hop And the Adidas only bring good news, and they're not yes. used as felons. Felon shoes, Because yes. they would come home from jail more information that you might not need. <laughs> With no shoestrings in their sneakers because they might hang themselves. Or choke somebody so out. Somebody pointed out, some great scholar pointed out, oh, Run DMC are wearing those shoestrings in their sneakers because those are felon shoes. And D said, my Adidas only bring good news and they are not used as, as felon shoes. Because we wasn't trying, we were wearing them to be cool as fuck. And nice. We didn't want, we might have looked threatening. Yeah, well, we had threatening people around. Yes, we do. <laughs> all right, all right. I think I'm going to leave it there. Because we have to And we're back. <laughs> it's like magic, right? <laughs> Look at her. She's This woman. Is, it is like magic. She's really happy to be back on the microphone, people. You should see her. She's uh, smiling ear to ear. And it is. It's, it's fun to be back. And that was a good listen, wasn't it? That was amazing. Actually, uh -huh. really entertaining. 
And to listen to that and look at the book pretty much at the same time, because I saw you glancing at the certain pages when Glenn was talking. I had to. Uh, it, put th- it, it puts things in perspective. But to piggyback on what you said earlier about what, what did you, what did you say? Do you, did I think that they knew, you know, the, the era they were in or something? Well, I was asking on your, like on your level, like, did you know what you were witnessing? Because you were like, I was up I front still and center. Yeah. And I you were like, do. I knew. But then I was also thinking from their point of view, like, yeah. did they know what they were, you know, the impact that they would have had, that they had, you know, like, I don't, I don't think you realize it in the moment. It well, they even so said I- it in the audio. That, right. That, they were DMC even said, oh, I guess this is what you do. You take pictures, you know, you're you're out and about, you know, you've got a guy here and he shows up and he takes pictures of you out in the streets or on stage or wherever. Yeah. So it's it's just, you know, he wanted to do it like well, you know, he wanted to like hone the craft and, and you know, represent in the correct way that he wanted to see and um represent them in the in 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 the correct light in his eyes you know and i mean the result is amazing but um yeah i just you know he they were doing what they loved to do and i think that also adds to the magic of you know that the pictures and, and the result you know and they were doing what they loved to do with the people they loved to do it with yeah. i think that's a point that resonates from album to album from group to group you heard it time and time again that glenn was the guy that the bands went to uh to because they were comfortable with them because they had uh admiration and respect and ultimately, love for. Yeah, but know? that's why you get those candid shots and those more natural, more real, and like those. Yeah. Those just like you're like in the neighborhood and their home, and it's just it's a different feel completely. You know, you feel like oh, I feel like I I almost know them. You know, I could look at these pictures and then like you can see that well, it's you do, friendship. You, you feel that way because I've had the, the the privilege to meet a good majority of them. With the exception of, of course, uh, rest in peace, MCA and, and Jam Master J. Uh, uh, I haven't met Mike D yet, but everyone else I've met and hung out with to some capacity, not like, you know, great spans of time, but, uh, you know, enough to where it's like, oh, I know, I know them. <laughs> you know, it's like, it's it, 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 it was like that. And even spending time with uh, DMC, more than a few times, uh, each time was like, oh, well, this is how it should be. This is how I imagined it. And, you know, you always hear horror stories about people meeting their heroes. But I can tell you, without a shadow of a doubt, every one of them that I've ever met has always been extremely polite, cool, down to earth, and just extremely generous with their time. That's amazing. It's um, great it, to hear. And again, it, 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 of course, you know, would that have been that way, you know, in 89, 87, 88, 89, you know, at the very height? You know, who knows? Because of all the chaos that came with that. Well, also the age. You know I think what I mean? when you're younger, you're, it's different. What the The later in life you are, I feel like you just appreciate things differently and you see things differently. So... You know, think about what you were like in your 20s. 
Yeah. You know, <laughs> I mean, I'm thinking about myself as well, you know, and you just, you just go, you know, you don't really th- like stop and think you just go with just the, the overall, you know, not, not just the, 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 the picture that's painted in the books, but just their words and their admiration for one another, the way they talked about each other and the sharing the stories and, you know, it's it's like listening to your family, you know, at Thanksgiving talk about each other or someone who's who's passed on, um, you know, taking a stroll down memory lane, mm. and it's, it it just confirms the love. Yeah, it confirms everything that you you thought. So to hear it from them, Chuck even said he'd pay a thousand dollars to be in that audience. Well, it's also the exchange between them, like all of them together, you yeah. know, and like being able to reminisce together and fill in the blanks or like, you know, it inspires one another to remember certain parts of it and be like, Oh wait, I remember this and I remember that. And it's just, it's a beautiful thing. And like you said, it is kind of like family reminiscing. So it's, a, it's, it's, you know, you feel privy to witness that, you know? So it's cool that you have that. Yeah, and it, it was it was it was amazing being there, and it was amazing spending time. With, and we we did get a chance to get a group photo with everyone, um, and even if something like that would not have happened, let's just say if if you know we were talking about earlier, um, you know what you said about you know could you see where this was going, like even if it didn't, I would be the same person to this day, no doubt. Let's say if hip hop never blew and it came and went, I would still be the exact same and I would find those same albums and those same pictures somewhere. Because it affected you. That's me. Like yeah. that's that, that's your that, experience. That moment in time. Yeah. That moment in time It's significant shaped, in your history. Yeah, it, it yeah. That's it. Like yeah. you know, eighty four, eighty five, eighty six, eighty seven, eighty eight, eighty nine. Like those <laughs> <laughs> especially the, that 86 to 89 mark wow it sounds yeah i mean <laughs> that right there done like people always hit me up they're like oh yeah i can curate i can you know do all this i know music and no i know a specific mark a specific era and that was this right here this book embodies that mm, for me i get it and that's why i bought so many of them i've given them out as gifts <laughs> I, I I'll still buy them. People, are like, oh, you're giving books away as a gift. This isn't just a book. You're actually getting a piece of me. Aww. Like that's why I do that. That's the whole point. And I definitely recommend anyone listening uh, get the book uh, and maybe you know rewind, re-listen to this podcast um, and 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 watch it um, or listen to it and look at the book. You know why? How why long ago was Glenn's Glenn Friedman's interview? That was on like, this podcast. Yeah, uh, I met Glenn for the first time at MCA Day more than a few years ago, and then he was on maybe like two, two or three years ago, maybe. I would say closer to three. Probably honestly. three yeah. years. I have to look at the. Yeah, but yeah, he spent some time on the podcast, yeah. and I'd love to get him back on if we uh, get back into the the, the flow of things. <laughs> um, I might. Do I sound a little congested? A little. Oh man. Sorry, people, but this was the only way this was going to get done. Um, you know, I just had to, you know, heat up the mics and get everything uh, booted up, uh, you know, congestion and all, you know, everything that's going on 
you know, with uh, the coronavirus, everybody's at home. I thought I would at least dig into the archives and, uh, you know, treat you guys with this listen. Sorry, I, I uh, rambled on a bit, but I think it's worth the, uh, you know, worth the listen, at least for, um, you know, the, the last hour, I mm-hmm. think. For and sure. then, um, yeah, we'll see. We'll, we'll see what happens. We'll, we'll see if we can we can muster up some energy, depending on how long we're going to be locked down. <laughs> Maybe I can keep digging in the crates because I have a whole lot of audio and and things to say. No doubt, there's you no do. shortage when it comes to that. So, Mary Tazi, thanks for getting on the mic with us. Yeah, thanks for having me again. All right, and uh, with that, you guys know how I end this domino, motherfucker. Check Look, I'm cut from the fabric of Jet Li. I practiced 10,000 hours so my talent could meet my hard work. I farm words out of my dreams and harvest my realities. Finally, I could eat. I was sad all my friends were married except me. Then I sold the Maxim model on back of my jet ski. Dirty 30. Man, I barely got my feet.